Hi, I'm Blake Calhoun, the creator of the web series Pink and the sci-fi web series Continuum, and you're listening to Genretainment Radio. Like Blake said, you're listening to Genretainment on its new channel at scifipulseradio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie, and we're here to give you news about our favorite genre on TV, movies, web series, and everything in between. Now, we have a great show today. Not only do we have news, but we also have two fun interviews. Our featured interview is with the cast and crew of Transolar Galactica. It's a fun interview with this award-winning sci-fi uh, comedy web series, and it'll be coming up in just a few minutes. After that chat, we also have an interview with our featured music artist of the week, the Nova Scotia band Short Notice. Now, what you just heard at the beginning was a snippet from the theme song for our web series Reality on Demand. Now, that's a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Uh, it just happens that Sean's band, Short Notice, is our featured music artist of the week, but we'll be talking about that later in the show. Now, in a few minutes, we'll be chatting with the cast and crew of Transolar Galactica, but first the news, hot off the virtual presses. First up... Now, the teasers promised there would be a death on Revolution. No! Yeah, and the writers delivered. I don't want to spoil who it was. Just in case someone hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> but here is what producer Eric Kripke, who we know from creator Supernatural. of Supernatural, uh, said about the death. Now, here's a quote from him with some, some uh, key pieces removed to keep the identity secret yeah. for you guys. Um, quote, we decided internally very early on that it was important to show that this world had real stakes and was truly dangerous. You're not close to hospitals, paramedics, or help. It was purely a creative decision about giving the world a real charge of danger. As we move forward in the series, we want the audience to understand no one is safe, including the main characters. Now, the death was pretty shocking and a little sad, uh, but I can see why they did it. How did you feel about that? It was sad, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, you know, his reasoning. It, it Sometimes uh, creators set up these worlds and these shows, and they try to, convey a sense of real danger and real risk, but because, you know, they don't want to risk any their characters, then you, it never really comes across. So um, creatively speaking, I think it was it was definitely, uh, a, I thought it was a good decision. Of course, you hate to see a character that you, you really like and have gotten to know to actually be gone, but it does raise the stakes. He's right about that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of makes it a little grittier. So I don't know. Oh, it's pretty good. So Carter Hughes has even hinted at slowing down since Lost ended on ended in 2010. Now he went from running that show to running A&E's new psycho prequel, Bates Motel, uh, and also helping bring the strain to TV. Now he's bringing a supernatural western comic to NBC. Love supernatural western and comic. That sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, it's got magic guns and everything. Awesome. Cues uh, and screenwriter Ryan Condal. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Are adapting the Eisner Award-nominated comic book series, The Sixth Gun, for NBC. Here's the official synopsis of the Sixth Gun comic uh, on the publisher's website. During the darkest days of the Civil War, wicked cutthroats came into possession of six pistols of otherworldly power. In time, the Sixth Gun, the most dangerous of the weapons, vanished. When the gun surfaces in the hands of an innocent girl, dark forces reawaken. Vile men thought long dead set their sights on retrieving the gun and killing the girl. Only Drake Sinclair, a gunfighter with a shadowy past, stands in their way. That's a cool name, Drake Sinclair. That is a good name, Drake Sinclair. So what do you think? Does a Western with magic guns sound like fun? Anytime you have a Western, you have a chance of having fun, especially when you throw in the other stuff. You know, that falls (laughs) into the category of that would not have been a good time and place in history to live, but it's fun on film and on television. (laughs) 
in comics. Yeah, I haven't read the comic book. I have heard of it though. So uh, and you know, love lost. So we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, be interesting. Um, now we're also big fans of Brian Fuller, the mind that brought us Pushing Daisies and soon Hannibal. I really like his his work. He was he's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, his upcoming Monsters reboot has been struggling, and now we have some news on its progress. According to the Hollywood Reporter, NBC plans to air the two years in the making pilot for Mockingbird Lane as a Halloween special this month in an effort to recoup the reported wow ten million dollars they spent on it. Oh, Ouch. That is. An exact air date has yet to be announced, but the week of Halloween makes the most sense. Now, the rumor was that Fuller butted heads with the studio while putting the Mockingbird pilot together. So this will likely be the end of the proposed series, although, who knows, perhaps if critics love it, they'll get it resurrected, might be able to work out the differences. You know, Brian Fuller seems like one of those that um, he has such a unique voice. Sometimes people may not understand what it is he's trying to do, maybe. I know he got in trouble with Pushing Daisies because they went over budget. Quite a bit. Oh, uh, yeah. I really liked that show, though. I mean, that was that was really good. And he did wonderful, too, didn't he? That did not last as long as it should have. That was a really fantastic. Where the animated, where the, the figurines and things would be animated and start talking to her and cartoon heads. And, yeah, I think he did. Because I think... Um, and that was uh, the actress that showed up on uh, Off the Map and then that went away. Because I think the character Pushing Daisies was a character... Based off the character he was going to have in Wonderfalls. Yeah. If I'm correct. No, no, no. Are you sure Wonderfalls no, no. the Reaper? Uh, no, he did both. Yeah. But this was a character that was going to be on Reaper because it was going to be the opposite of her, where she takes people's souls and helps them die, and then he was going to bring them back to life. That's right. Um, but yeah, I liked um, that one too. I mean, that was not Reaper. Oh, no. Reaper was a CW yeah. show. Um, Dead Like Me. Dead Like Me. Yes. That was a good show as well. So I I I like his I like his style. I like his vision. So too many Grim um, Reaper yeah, comedies. Yeah, I um. <laughs> well, the thing is, I was never into the monsters, but his I can see him doing something with it I might like. So maybe I'll give it a chance. Speaking of Grim ha, Reapers, ha, ha. <laughs> for you TV fans that love to read more stories about your favorite shows in comic book format, you'll be happy to learn that Dynamite has announced a new license with NBC to publish a new Grimm comic book series Woo-hoo! set to premiere in 2013. Here's what the executive producers of the show had to say. It's a quote for them. The opportunity to delve even deeper into the Grimm universe is an exciting prospect, one we hope fans of the show and comic books in general will equally enjoy. Uh, the medium will allow the story to go places we could, uh, we never could within the constraints of a television production. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. It's not like you have to worry about creating a set or doing any special effects. So, yeah, no, they can I would love to see stuff. his mother come back. I really like to, or, or show, like, in the past, his aunt, because she was really, we've talked about how much she was. We know that would be an character. excellent comic book, if, like a prequel story, like they did Supernatural. With, the, with his with mom and aunt. Yeah, because there's a big story there that sounds really interesting to me. They're so young, learning yeah. their reaper abilities, and who knows what happened. Yeah. A grim, a grim ability. And maybe show some of um, the blue spot guy Monroe too. And I don't know. I, they've they've really created a, a pretty rich environment there to play with. So they have, and that show, you know, it had its ups and ups and downs. It started out a little. It wasn't one of my favorites when it started, but by like it, it really I thought grew after the pilot. Yeah, and it's and this has been a pretty strong season so far. Yeah, yeah. They have a great cast, which really helps. 
Mm-hmm. And a sure. great look that they're really using that whole Portland uh, look to it. I think that really helps enhance the the feel of the show. Mm-hmm. It does. So, um, moving on. <laughs> a few months ago, many Joss Whedon fans, the Weep Night, is that what we're calling? Weep uh, Night, yeah. We're thrilled to learn that his web musical, Dr. Horrible Sing Along Blog, would be airing on network TV. Now, the cult hit debuted on the CW. While hopes were high, ratings turned out to be very low. That's a shame. Yeah. I, I, I liked it. I watched, I didn't realize it was on when it was, but I watched most of it, so. Yeah, uh, the show was created during the 2008 writer's strike. Now, the Wheaton musical comedy starred How I Met Your Mother's Neil Patrick Harris, Castle's Nathan Fillion, The Big Bang Theory's Simon Helberg, and web series celeb Felicia Bay. Now, it was a bonafide hit on the Internet, for sure. But despite that, it didn't do so well in the ratings on TV. Now, airing the 9 p.m. Eastern time slot, the show managed only 570,000 viewers. Wow, 570,000. Yeah, finishing in last place with only half the viewers of the second least watched show of the night, which was the CW's Heart of Dixie, which pulled in about 1.2 million viewers. Um, now, in the all-important 18-49 demographic, Everybody else doesn't count, apparently. <laughs> Dr. Horrible managed only a .2, again, half what Heart of Dixie managed. So, you know, why the low ratings? Uh, perhaps everyone who wants, who wanted to see Dr. Horrible has already seen it because it's been run ran on the web, YouTube, uh, iTunes, Netflix. It's been all over the place. There's you know, honestly, this sounds backwards of what we do, but I didn't know it was going to be on then at that time. Yeah, I don't know how much they advertised it. Um, you know, I mean, I, I know – They've done that a lot of times with Supernatural. The only time you'll see Supernatural advertised is during Supernatural. <laughs> Sometimes. And <laughs> because I didn't really watch a whole lot of other CW shows, but then I started watching some things that are reruns and things, and I wanted to see. I thought, you know, I wonder if we complain about that. So I wonder if I'm going to see Supernatural advertised. And I never did. Yeah. You'll see it very late at night as a blip with mentioned with other stuff or not at all. And the only time you see commercials for it is during the actual show, which seems so pointless to me. So Yeah, and I saw Supernatural's premiere numbers were, were held pretty strong. Yeah. Pretty well that's you know, we're some pretty diehard fans. So we'll catch it. But I think probably a lot of people who uh are otherwise Joss Sweden fans didn't know it was gonna be airing when it did. I think that, that has a lot to do. I think C W creates a lot of self fulfilling prophecies. They get it in their whoever's in charge says Oh, no one's going to watch it, so let's not advertise it. So they don't advertise it, so no one watches it because they don't know it's there. And they go, see, I was right. <laughs> well, it's an interesting experiment because it's been seen so much already on the web. That has a lot to do A lot of people have seen it multiple times or own it. And then it's, it. I'm assuming it was an hour long uh, with commercials. So that's a weird, you know, I time slot. It's not a movie special. I thought some of the commercial breaks were kind of awkward. It's not a movie special because they can't fill a two-hour time slot. Uh, you know, most of your one-hour shows, you, you have to really, like, spend months, you know, promoting the mm-hmm. premiere, team up with other shows. And was Heart of Dixie really the best show to partner up no, with? Or? No, not even close. <laughs> it, it, you know, even when they had Gilmore Girls as the lead-in for Supernatural, that made more sense because one of the stars used to be on that show. And a lot of, even though they're different genres, there was a lot of, the same audience watching them because mm-hmm. they like really smart, intelligent dialogue and cool story. But I mean, I've seen Heart of Dixie and it's not a bad show to be honest, but it has, I think a different appeal 
and would appeal to a different audience than Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. So I'm not really – I think a lot of times people create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe so. Um, now, in other news, Gwen Stacy is not going to be the only love interest vying for Peter Parker's attention. Variety is reporting that Mary Jane Watson is joining the cast of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Still haven't seen the first one yet. But the redhead is arguably Spider-Man's most famous love interest. It's the person who's supposed to be in negotiations, rumored, Golden Globe nominee. Uh, Shailene Woodley. Yes. You might have seen her in, in The Descendants. She's in negotiations to be the new Mary Jane. She's currently rumored to be Sony's top choice. Uh, you may remember she's the character was previously played by Kristen Dunst in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. What do you think? It's kind of hard to say because I don't think either one of us has seen the, the first Amazing Spider-Man. No, we haven't seen the first of it, so it's it's kind of hard to say, and I haven't really seen a lot of her work, so um, I'm sure she's just fine. <laughs> I, you know, you, they don't usually do too bad on this. Typically not. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would imagine if she's their top choice, she's got to be pretty good at it in all likelihood. So I hope. <laughs> yeah, I always feel, oh, I'm, you know, Quinn Stacy is definitely in the history of, you know, the, the first real girlfriend type love interest. And, Nobody um, stays with their first girlfriend or boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it's first, but it's definitely first most remembered. That showed up, yeah. But, uh, you know, Mary Jane is one everybody. That's, Almost, that's pretty much the lowest lane to Spider-Man, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think it would make sense that they would bring her in. So. So it'll be interesting to see how that that pans mm-hmm. out. Yeah. I really need to watch that first movie. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't really like. It just seemed like the last Spider-Man trilogy was just like. It just happened. Yesterday, yeah. I don't understand the need to reboot something right after. I mean, I guess to hold on to the license, but. Well, that's why. Yeah. That's why, but it's like doing a reboot of something that's only been gone for like two years seems kind of pointless so i it's an it's unique it's a weird situation it's a record for reboots for for hollywood are are our attention spans getting so short that we now have to do remakes and reboots within a couple of years or so oh yeah for sure i'm sorry what were we talking about (laughs) who are you yeah it just i don't know why it just hit me but doctor who's like the ultimate reboot you just the character reboots every few years. Oh yeah, <laughs> you lose somebody, you get someone else. It's great. It was brilliant. Brilliant right. marketing. Well, enough of us chit-chatting about the news. Um, you're probably going to hear one of our two interviews. Nah. Uh, first up is our featured interview with the cast and creative force behind Transolar Galactica. So it was a really fun interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. So here we go. You're listening to Jean Entertainment, and today we are talking to the cast and crew of Transsolar Galactica. Uh, can each of you introduce yourselves and the role behind the camera and the character you play in front of the camera? Why would anyone want to do that? Fight fire with fire, right, number one? Reggie. My name is Reggie, bitch. Oh, that's cute. Did you pick it out yourself? Shut your mouth. For sure. Uh, my name is Clancy Bundy. I am, uh, I, I guess, part writer and production designer of the show, and I play Reggie Murdoch, the security officer. Uh, I am Adam Harum. I am the writer, director, editor, visual effects guy, and I play Samson. Uh, my name's Adam Boyd. I am one of the producers on the show, and I play Petty Officer McCall. My name's Jade Wardenberg. I play Yasaki, and I'm the director of photography. 
Okay, great. And uh, just so people can get to know a little bit about the show, uh, what's the show about? The show is uh, basically a, a, a sci-fi spoofery of all the tropes and uh, everyone's favorite TV shows that they've been seeing for a while now. Uh, we make fun of everything from popular sci-fi movies, television shows, to kind of obscure video games and comic books. Uh, we, we just kind of tackle the entire sci-fi genre and whatever makes us kind of like squint a little bit and act a little skeptical, we try to make fun of that in our show. So call that de deconstructionist, I guess we're called on occasion. We take those little little pieces in, in, in movies, sci-fi shows and that kind of thing, things that most people will kind of overlook, but we like to kind of point that out and uh, make fun of it. Cool. Yeah, I know, I know it's like the most obvious element probably is the lens flare element. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's sure. Uh, that was a, uh, the, the way the show kind of started was we, we just did one off kind of, we we're going to do a skit show. So we did Transfer Galactica episode one. It wasn't meant to be anything big. We weren't looking long term with it. So yeah, we lens flared the crap out of it. We just got done watching the, <laughs> the new Star Trek movie. We're like, man, that, and like the Mass Effect video games. And it was just Every every light in the universe seemed to be pointing right at the camera, so it needed to be addressed. <laughs> okay. So we, so yeah, so we started on, on one episode. We kind of popped it out there, and uh, it was got a really really good kind of response from everybody. Um, not only like from our close friends, but just people who just happened to cross it on the web. So from there, just kind of built and built and built, and we started just kind of tacking on episodes, and then uh, about halfway through, we realized we should probably make like a full coherent kind of season and. Uh, out the rest of it yeah i notice when you watch the shows they're all self-contained pretty much i mean there's reoccurring characters but i notice a trend where like a lot of people die each episode and then they come back <laughs> uh yeah you, you know like we said the original concept of the show we, we were really it was a uh we were really going to just shoot as a sketch that would be in a, in a group of other sketches and we'll kind of build a, a sketch comedy show but the transolar galactica first episode really caught on and we felt like, you know, well, there's enough material out there. There's plenty of other things in the sci-fi genre that are that are quirky that we could spoof. So it became there was a the guys wrote a second episode and we shot that. It got even better reviews. And, and <laughs> at that point, we were kind of locked into the structure of the show yeah. too. Like we already died in episode <laughs> one. Why not continue well, we'll, that train? <laughs> yeah, we'll figure we'll figure out how to wrap that up when we maybe do a second season, which yeah, is uh, where so, we're at now. And it kind of became like a kind of a fan game too to figure out who was going to die during what episode. <laughs> They were all gonna go, or if it was like one or two of the crew members. Let's talk a little bit about each of your characters, Murdoch. Now you have like a, you have an accent your character does, but that changes a lot, doesn't it? That was that the like us dying. Um, that was something we were always baffled by. Like, why do these people have accents in space? I mean, they've been living in closed metal tubes and you know, in, in the vacuum of space. Why would they have regional dialects? <laughs> and so we decided to throw an Australian one. Like, it's really poorly rendered Australian one on and why not we just decided to keep it going so episode two became like Texas and then episode three was Scottish and so yeah I mean that was just his character uh he's psychotic but he's kind of sweethearted but he always has a different accent we're not really sure why <laughs> Does he have multiple personalities is he always trying to like sneak in is he like a subterfuge guy like we haven't really figured it out <laughs> At the end of season one, we kind of ride it off in a pretty interesting way. But <laughs> Yasaki is sort of the common sense type character. He kind of points out some of the problems, like the captain, or I guess the whole crew's like thinking. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? Second start of the right. Straight on till morning. We're, we're not moving. Well, sir, that's not really a coordinate. What? I can't literally steer the ship to a metaphorical location. Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess it's kind of a, when it comes to my character, in a way, it's kind of a way of, uh, art imitating life. Uh, <laughs> and I feel that way amongst these guys, uh, for the most part, because, you know, in, in Transsolar, um, it's definitely, you know, I'm the most confident one. I, I'm the most logical one. Uh, and then I'm just surrounded by a bunch of idiots. <laughs> I often just look around, like I'm looking around, I'm literally looking around right now and thinking, what am I doing surrounded by these, why are these guys my friends? <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That's kind of, that's kind of my character, I guess. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty funny watching the show happen to Jade because he doesn't, like, Jade watches FIFA when it's free time. I watch, no, I watch soccer clans. I don't watch FIFA. <laughs> that's, See, this is, a, this is the best example right here. I'm saying I watch FIFA. <laughs> he plays FIFA. My I play bad. FIFA. I watch soccer. Anyway, uh, that's how, yeah. The series happens to Jade because he's he doesn't get a lot of the jokes weaving right. Because yeah, he wa he watches our episodes after we we're done, and he's he's still told me to this day like I still don't get most of what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> I maybe only I when I'm watching back through the entire season, I maybe laughed like twice. <laughs> and Samson, you now you, you kind of picked up like a, some psychic abilities, or at least played with that. You didn't have originally, is that right? See, I never knew I was a psychic. Yes, it's kind of kind of a similar fashion to like Clancy's uh, accent changing every episode. Even though we die every episode, my my Samson's uh, ability to become a psychic suddenly starts to ha reoccur. We keep like making references back to episodes, even though they died in them, that kind of thing. It's uh, it's always fun. Like I, originally in the in the first episode, I, I'm a very small part, and it was fun playing the part. But like I'm always I'm behind the camera, like I'm directing these guys and writing a lot of the episodes. I never really intended to. Uh, to be so involved, but as it went along, it just uh, not only was it fun, but it, it was fun to play with that character. I mean, this whole psychic, sci-fi slash psychic like thing that always comes into play is, is really funny, and I think I think there, there's a lot of jokes to be made about that. Yeah, it opens up a whole new like we we could start riffing on Jedi's, we can start riffing Mass on effect is, Mass Effect, yeah. psychic powers. Yeah. Like we're really excited to just really expand and. Um, Again, with the, with the second season, you're gonna we're gonna explain a lot of this stuff that we've just kind of hinted at in the first season. Great, and then McCall is the engineer, uh, so you play around with some of those engineering jokes, like in one episode about, you know, it's gonna take me I can't remember if it was three days or three weeks, but you know, he wanted the captain wanted it in three minutes. Uh, you talked a little bit about about McCall. Our left engine is completely torn off, so if I had to make any estimations. Three weeks? Well, you got three minutes. I feel McCall's a fun character. I really, I think that's when I got pulled into the show. It was, uh, you know, when I'm standing next to these guys, I'm kind of a a man among giants. I'm not a tall person by any means, and, and I as even that's even. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I got a I got a young face, uh, so you know, I think they were they were kind of like, oh yeah, we need somebody to play kind of like this, uh, you know, this young kid to be kind of the the engineering bay whipping boy and. He's kind of a fun character because he seems to be really competent and know what's needed, but is never given the resources or the time to do it. So he's just and and he's he gladly, 
you know, accepts the challenge. He's just happy to, to get, a, you know, one meal a day, I guess. He's like the ultimate, <laughs> he's like a fanboy plus <laughs> Oliver Twist <laughs> in space. And that's kind of like how we wrote him. He's I, yeah. seeking approval all the time. And I imagine every time the, the, the comm link goes down, he, he just cherishes the fact that the captain even bothered to speak to him, even though, you know, he was yelled at. But, you know, it helps him sleep at night in his little hammock he has in engineering day. So. Each of you act and also do things behind the camera. Um, were you all actors beforehand, or, did, or have some of you been drafted into it because of just necessity? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's kind of It's kind of across the board on that one. Um, we... The one universal thing that ties us all together is we all went to film school together at Eastern Washington University. And just the nature of the film program there, you know, you're doing everything. You're, you're writing, you're, you're directing projects, you're acting in other classmates' projects. So we're all a little bit versatile in that. But uh, we took some flack on the, on the first season for, you know, it, there's, a, there's a, a mentality for web series about vanity projects and act, like people casting themselves in projects. It didn't really happen like that for us because we only people we could rely on or would be would, would feel comfortable asking to be in this production were, were us. <laughs> like, um, well, I feel like the show would have made, been made quite a bit earlier, but they're just waiting around for an Asian guy to come back. <laughs> yeah, in Vancouver, so. yeah. And there's literally maybe five Asian people in Spokane. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the story how that worked. We, we, we wanted to do the project. We didn't have any budget. We, we don't like asking people to work for free. So, you know, we've all acted a bit in, in, in productions. Uh, Jade, the least, he, he hates acting, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he, he despises it. But I think that shows in his character, which is terrific. <laughs> but the rest of us, I mean, we're comfortable with it. It's not really what we want to do, I think. But um, as far as Transfer goes, we really devote in front and behind the camera everything we can. That kind of came about from, I guess, necessity too, because it, like we all work on, on film outside of, outside of Transsolar. Like that, those are our day jobs. And Transsolar season one was um, definitely not shot the way we would have preferred because it, it was kind of just stretched out. And we had to, you know, whenever we had free time, whenever we weren't on actual film set shooting or whenever we weren't doing, you know, our visual effects jobs or, or Clancy does other acting gigs, Jade's a DP, so he does all that. Whenever we had the spare time, uh, it, it was a matter of, trying to go out and shoot another episode or pull off another episode. And a lot of that involves like late nights on a weekend that no one else, you know, would, we can't just call up that person out before and say, let's, let's do this. So again, that's something we're kind of hoping to change for two and actually. We were all living together in like a, in a shithole house. <laughs> so you were like, we were renting this, you know, the first, you get out of college and you rent like that house with your buddies. So we knew where everyone was sleeping. So we knew what doors to kick in and who to drag out of bed to get the shots we needed. <laughs> And we couldn't really do that with a professional actor. <laughs> now, you guys are on a pretty low budget, especially for season one. Um, what was your budget for season one? How did you use some creativity to get around that? Yeah, I guess I'll speak Adam Boyd, Petty Officer McCall on that. Um, uh, I have, a, I have a, a, a background in film production. I'm usually an assistant director or a producer, and I usually work in low-budget film and it's a lot larger budget than we had for season one, but I, I kind of had a lot of experience on, on cheats and uh, kind of ways you can get around not having a lot of money. Or, and a lot of that is just uh, uh, having a charming smile and asking for favors. And I think that's probably the, our biggest uh, strength in season one is that we were just able to 
tell people about the show, either show them a previous episode and kind of just they have them get them say, uh, okay, yeah, you can borrow our gear or yeah, you can shoot in our studio space or I'm sure I'll, I'll be in it in an episode. But our, I think what do we uh, our first episode totaling all the receipts up together. The whole first season was $180, I think, that included buying props and some costume stuff from a thrift store. And then, and you know, our time isn't in the calculator yeah. that because <laughs> that's probably the most valuable thing. Uh, that's just it's a passion project for us and we just we would work you know Adam directing the episode and then going and editing it and Clancy doing the artwork and those guys would be working almost 24-7 over a weekend uh, to to knock out an episode but for us it was about getting the episode out and and us as a group laughing and enjoying it and then hoping someone on the web would do the same yeah how'd you make your your guns Uh, the the guns (laughs) I think you see those guns everywhere and it's kind of it's i think we should start a facebook group or something of web series that use the same series of like nerf guns <laughs> you see them all over and they're very convincing like i don't feel ashamed at all about using it obviously our season two budget will hopefully allow us to, to stretch a little bit but uh yeah just nerf guns we'd go out and buy a couple nerf guns we'd spray paint them uh, you know away from their default neon orange and blue and you know and that's what we'd use uh We'd augment it them in post with like Adam would put sights like uh, do that whole Mass site, Effect thing. The Mass Effect the, thing. The guns they... collapse in a bizarre way. Yeah. And pop back open. <laughs> so we we do stuff like that to to cut costs. Um, costumes like Adam saying that we literally just found stuff. We did character sketches of who we wanted to be in the next episode or who was a brand new character to explore, and then we just kind of look and see what we had in our closets. <laughs> uh, I think. The only real wardrobe piece we bought was a lab coat <laughs> for the nurse. <laughs> and then, of course, the fake blood, which we, we, we got our use out of. Yeah, we, we used plenty of that. Quite a bit. <laughs> and you use a lot of green screen, too. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that process? Well, uh, I think about 85 to 90% of season one was on green screen, um, which I think I'm going to let Jade talk about because for season one and the budget we had, it was a necessity and we made the best we could with it. I think we had a fantastic time and really established the look. But season two is going to be a little differently because we don't have those green screens anymore. Jade? Yeah. <laughs> we also we have, we don't have those green screens anymore. And I think that the the one episode that we did shoot on location, um, episode seven, seven yeah. um, was kind of at least a, a rough start as to what we want to do for season two. I think that the thing, the issue that... I, and that wasn't an issue, but like we just need to open up the environment and shooting on green screen only you know only allows you to do so much, especially what at the budget we're at. So we're trying to go away from that. And season two has about eighty to eighty-five percent of it, you know, uh, out out in the real world, and it's just nice not only for me as a as a DP, but for the actors and and crew to kind of not be stuck in you know a green screen environment because it can get it can get pretty tiring. Pretty yeah. quickly and and for post it's it's much more difficult. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work in post. I did uh, me me and Clancy kind of tag team uh, green screens in season one. And as far as like I I do all the compositing and and like touch ups and Clancy would create the artwork. So pretty much everything everything is just completely created from scratch on a green screen. And it was a matter of me and him kind of tag teaming it and uh, and uh, yeah tagging. Cool. Now you guys mentioned season two. Now you guys yes. have started a Kickstarter campaign. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what's your goal f- for that Kickstarter campaign? 
and uh, and how's it going so far, and uh, what's some of your incentives? Uh, well, first off, the first thing I want to say about our Kickstarter is thank you to everyone who's already contributed. We're, we're blown away by the success we're having so far. We're a third of our way to a goal, and we still have like 24 days left, which is, which is fantastic. Um, season 2, uh, we're asking for 30000 which is the, the baseline, and that's because we're basically starting from scratch. The move from green screen to a practical location you know, and, and set Actually decking. down a studio. Like, if, if we do have to shoot green screen, uh, we don't have this access to the studio that we used to have access to anymore. So now it's a matter of kind of blocking that down. We're basically trying to make a, a real show this time around. Where the first season was great and fun on a green screen, this time we want to, we're going to need a better lighting and grit package. We're going to need a uh, set deck, <laughs> which is going to be a huge thing. We want to make the universe of Transolar to feel real and full. And so, yeah, we're going to need a little bit of, uh, of help to do that this season. And, uh, yeah, so our goal is 30000 With any with any luck or a miracle, we might even get a little beyond that. The, the more we go beyond that, just, you know, the, the better it's going to be. We've said in our Kickstarter video on our page that, uh, you know, that our, our Kickstarter, all our funds we make, it's not going to our salaries or some sort of um, Transler Galactica crew team building uh, Adventure in Las Vegas, in Vegas or you know, uh, it's it's all going on the screen. It's all going to the show. That, that for us, again, our time is going to be for free because we really want to see this get made. The fans have have proven to us that they love it just as much as we do. Um, and so, in that, we're offering uh, all we're offering, sorts of cool stuff. Uh, HD downloads of both seasons uh, for everybody. Once we finish the second season, with that includes all the bonus features, behind the scenes stuff we're going to be doing, and and anything else. Uh, we're, we're, we've got a cool little project that Clancy's been working on with some other uh, artists he knows. Uh, we're putting together a... An 18-month uh, Reggie Murdoch clone calendar. <laughs> so it's established in the first season and even further in the second that there's actually more Reggie Murdoch familia running around. Um, and, and I'm actually, I got artists from all across DeviantArt, all my friends that are, you know, pretty good. We're, we're throwing together this amazing... I don't know if whether to call it a coffee table book or a calendar because it's going to have some really crazy cool artwork. And 18 months, each each uh, character is a different month. Each month is with a different artist. Um, so that'll be pretty fun. I'm, some of these characters have been seen before. Other ones are completely new. Um, so that's just one of the incentive goals. I believe that's a lower tier one too because we really want people to enjoy it. It's not too much to produce. So yeah, that's a, a really cool piece of season two that you can have right there. Uh, T-shirts. We actually are, are, are giving access. Uh, are, are getting trying to get people in the show. We so, have we have a really cool way of getting. I mean, by the nature of the show, you know, with, with the pop-up screens and the digital effects and all that cool stuff, we we can get people in the show without actually having them travel to us. Yeah, or, or paint flight things and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so we have a couple instances that we weren't even thinking about when we wrote season two, but. We need extras uh, to be senators, to be clones, to be psychics, to be, you know, all these other characters that are kind of filling in the background. Um, and so we made those incentive markers. So I don't know, not sure logistically how we're really going to pull it off yet, but it, it's going to be basically screen time for pretty cheap. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, if fans want to be a part of the show, it's just the best opportunity to do it because we'll, we'll make it fun and we'll make them give them a cool little role in it. And it helps us, you know, fund the second season. So, now season two will each episode be standalone like they are now, or are you going to play with that a little bit more? And how many episodes do you expect to make? 
Ah, uh, that is a good question about the number of episodes. We are actually going away from the 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 death every episode. That was great for season one because it's a, it's a really fun way to kind of share the show. Is each episode you can pretty much come into having no knowledge and, and get into it and see it plays out beginning to end. Um, and the joke with the show is that each episode is basically that climactic moment of of uh, uh, the rest of, of the episode. Of you the rest of the episode. Yeah, you're right there in the climax, like right when the action happens. So for two, what we're actually doing is we're creating a continuous piece. Like it's it's basically when it's played end to end is going to be just this awesome. Uh, what well, we're hoping to be this feature film, so you can actually watch from beginning to end, and and the, the stakes are higher because uh, someone dies in season two, they're gone, they're 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 dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it's uh it's, it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, uh, hopefully a lot more epic. Now, yeah, the, we start like we we've been saying season one. The first episode kind of locked us into a structure and uh, spoiler alert. But at the end of season one, we're out of the computer of sorts. You know, like the training module is over. Triggers out of his little Prometheus-like sleeping pod, and <laughs> you know this is the real world around him. And unfortunately, for everyone in season two, he still to an extent, thinks he's inside of it. Uh, <laughs> so the season two is, you know, the stakes are raised. People, there's consequences. There's uh, there's continuity. <laughs> That's, I think, needs to be our trailer tagline now with continuity. <laughs> now, what are some of the creative influences? I think you mentioned a few. Um, and I feel like when I watch it a little bit, there could be some influence from shows I've seen on Adult Swim, Cartoon Network. Uh, is that... Possible? Uh, depends on which which one. <laughs> well, like C Lab, uh, sometimes yeah. they die. That kind of reminds me of it. That the humor was that and Venture Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Venture Brothers for sure. As far as like it, Venture Brothers is a really clever way of kind of, of of referring back to previous episodes and something making that a very big part of the show, which is something we, me and Clancy really enjoy. We doing. we love we love that show because literally. Someone that they offhandedly remarked about, they'll make like a, oh, that sounds like Captain Tumnus. And you're like, who's Captain Tumnus? It sounded like a funny joke. But then they're like, you know what? Let's explore Captain Tumnus in season five. And then they just flesh out this amazing story that ties in in all these weird ways. Yeah, we, we love Venture Brothers. And saying that our writing is kind of like theirs or that we're trying to aspire to be that would be very accurate. Yeah. Now, did you guys premiere season one on YouTube? Uh, yes, I believe we did. I think that was just it. It was just originally we did the first five episodes just kind of just randomly, periodically. And then about episode five, we were approached by uh, Zombie Orpheus Entertainment over in Seattle. And they host a lot of web shows. And uh, they came to us and said that they liked our stuff and they'd like to, you know, put put us online um, on their site. And we said, that'd be great. We, we've gotten a lot of their fans are amazing and um, their, their content's great. And uh, we looked back, we said, OK, so. Now, if we're going to actually legitimately release season one, we've pulled down all first five episodes and then we re-released them, keeping in mind that we had to finish up the five, the, the back end five to complete a, a whole season of ten episodes. Um, and then it was just a matter of every two weeks from beginning to end. Yeah, so we gave ourselves a few a few months of a, of a window where we pulled down the episodes from you know YouTube and Vimeo. And then re-release them on uh, on the Zombie Orpheus site as part of their community, um, and then we just continued that trend to the end of the first season. Uh, we traveled around with them to conventions. They they were nice enough to show our our show at like San Diego Comic Con at places we really didn't have the budget to go ourselves. We went to PAX East with them as well, and that was a good time. Great. And is that what you're going to continue doing for season two? 
for releasing it? Yeah, I think I think the distribution plan right now we'll, we'll have to see when fingers crossed the Kickstarter succeeds and comes through. Um, but I think uh, you know we have several different options of a distribution plan. It'll definitely still be on the web and it'll be for free. Uh, for people to view, and it will probably be on some sort of weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether we it's uh, exists on Zombie Orpheus or it exists on Zombie Orpheus in another site or even our own site, uh, th- those are all potential uh, avenues that we're looking into, um, and just trying to see uh, what we can do. We'd love to just have um, to build up the Transfer Galactica website too, and make it you know full of all kinds of different content, both video and interactive content for the fans. Uh, that we can deliver even little in-between content and stuff on the site as well while the second season's being released. Cool. So when you guys first started up Transcellular Galactica, uh, what made you decide to, to make it a web series versus like a short film or a feature film or, or even try to do like a traditional TV pilot? What was the decision, the thought process behind that? I think, you know, we're all, like uh, Adam Harum said, we're all... Uh, and Clancy. We're all from, we're film students originally. We all went to film school together and we're film graduates and we work in the industry. And, uh, you know, there's something about web series, and I think it's probably one of the more valuable things, is that you you have such an easier opportunity to connect with a large audience. Uh, with a short film, you know, I guess your best hope is to, to send it to a film festival or, or have it maybe picked up by some sort of group distributor. Uh, and that can, be a, that can be a hard route sometimes. Um, but with the web, I mean, you can reach someone clear on the other side of the world in, in, in a few seconds, and you get instant feedback, too. I mean, that's the, that's the other amazing thing, is that we get comments on our Facebook, our website, or our YouTube page after we release an episode, and they just flood in. And, and that's probably our biggest inspiration, what keeps us like wanting to develop the show, is just that we get a massive amount of people talking about the show, telling us they like it, and throwing out their own ideas and everything else. And... I think that was kind of what kicked kicked everybody in and said, like, well, if all these people are digging it, we can't stop now. Let's yeah. keep doing it. So, <laughs> Yeah, fostering the community uh, around Transtolar is definitely the only reason that we really kept going through season one and why we're even considering, you know, asking strangers for money to do a second season. We, we, we love our show and we love that people are enjoying it and we love them as well. So why not just keep the love going? I mean, we got... We have, fan art, incredible fan art that people have been posting, drawing pictures. And we had we had an individual from Seattle who's a super fan of ours who actually designed an entire fully playable board game yeah. around Transler Galactica. Which was also the incentives on, on our Kickstarter. Yeah. People were actually able to take take that home, actually play with that. I mean, even like uh, made little figures based off, based off of you know the show. We all have our kind of little own miniatures. We have uh, action figures. Yeah. I mean, how can we not <laughs> keep making Transformers yeah. Galactic when someone makes action figures? <laughs> and I'm a filmmaker also, so I always tend to ask filmmakers what equipment they used. What did, what did you guys use for uh, season one? Jeez. We used uh, GH2. Uh, we have some set of Zeiss CP2 prime lenses. Um, and then everything else is basically something you'd find, you know, in like a radio shack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The three lenses that I own, um, are, are, well, I don't even want to mention it. I don't even want to, I don't even want to mention the other stuff we, we use because it was, it was bad. Like, it's not only bad, but at the same time, it, it's, I mean, it's, it just doesn't make for a safe environment. Like, <laughs> really. And, like, I, and it's not good when when I have to act to begin with 
which makes me frustrated. And then I have to go behind the camera, which makes me frustrated. Um, so, which, which on screen it works. I'm supposed to be that way. But, but off, but off screen, he needs I, I definitely am not the best person to be around when, when the, when the equipment we we're using was, was faulty. And like, I mean, these guys can attest to it. Like I wasn't, I, I just wasn't in a good mood. At all. <laughs> now OSHA is going to be trapped in it. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, and I, and it's especially being a filmmaker and working on feature film sets and everything else when I'm not doing Transsolar, uh, I feel Jade's pain. And I just wish I could alleviate it. <laughs> but sometimes I can't. I just go over and put my arm around him and say, Tough shit. <laughs> Deal with it, buddy. And we keep promising him. We say, you know, when the Kickstarter comes in, Jade, we'll get your real tripod. We'll get you a C-stand. We'll get you a C-stand, you know. But it, and, and it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating for Jade because Jade has, has so much talent and so much skill and, and a big background. I mean, we put up... Uh, his DP reel on our Kickstarter so people can see. Because it's hard to tell, you know, green screen also really limits what Jade can do. Um, and, and he really wants to stretch his legs uh, as a DP on this project. And I want to I give him all the running room I can. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's hard for me to see it. it we're, these, all these guys are so talented, and I, I just want to give them the environment that they can really uh, take the show and the story and... and let it soar. So that was that was really one of the big aims of the of the Kickstarter was to hope that we could get the fans to support the second season and we can make it even bigger and better for them. You hear that world? Get Jade to see Stan. That's like that's, that's a central argument Jeez. of us. <laughs> that should be the uh, slogan. <laughs> C stand. And they'll be thirty thousand for one C stand. <laughs> this question's for each of you. What is your favorite episode from season one, and why? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go first, just because I think I have mine mine ready to go. I like episode eight the best, which is uh, which is a weird choice because I think tonally it's it's a little different than the rest. Uh, I just beat in Dead Space <laughs> when we wrote that one. I, I think it just it does a really good job of spoofing Event Horizon and Aliens and uh, all those creepy little girl movies. Uh, <laughs> so I think it really hit the nail on the head on that in that regard. And also, it, you know, it's Samson's turn to shine, kind of. Uh, I think it's one of the first times in the series where Samson really gets to we find out, like, what, his psychic powers are kind of under control. And I, don't know, I, I think we hit a trope on the head there. And seeing that little girl float through space in the background after Isaki just dumped her out of an airlock, that's golden. <laughs> <laughs> Blowing up, my own, blowing up my own head in post was a lot of fun too. It's, and you know, often, often people don't get that chance. So true. And that's that episode, little girl you're talking about. She's got a little bit of a like a ring look to her, doesn't she? Yeah, she was a fun one to draw in the, in the character development stage because I was just like, you know, I wanted to stick every little nuance and you know cliche I could with that. Like she's just seeping blood out of her hair and she's face covered in black. It, I don't know. It was all over the place. I, I, I dug it. And then she just straight up quotes aliens, and it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Who's next? Uh, I guess I'll go. I I, I, I like them all just because it's nice to see, like, I, I get to appreciate everybody's hard work and kind of seeing, like, me and Clancy write a lot of them. And, and it's nice to see what you have in your head suddenly on screen and people laughing at it. But I think the, the moment in the episode that I like the most is probably episode three, only because it has that moment, which I, I've talked about many times, where... <laughs> Episode three is making fun of Star Wars, and at the end of episode three of Star Wars, the robot comes in and says that 
uh, uh, Natalie Portman's given up the, the will to live, um, and everyone just accepts that. So <laughs> in the episode, the robot comes out and says that Samson's lost the will to live, even though he's like just been shot in the chest and he's screaming everybody to help him. And of course, <laughs> everybody but Yusaki accepts that, you know, oh yeah, he's, he's going to die. The robot told us he's given up the will to live. So overall, just a really fun episode. And then there's the moment at the end where uh, Reggie takes Samson and drags him away and they have that that cliche like action movie ending where uh <laughs> where uh he takes them out to go get one last look before he dies and uh and there's a part where he shoots him and kills him terribly and shoots him seven times and i like it because every time we show that in front of people that's usually we get the biggest reaction because people like i we make i make all the visual effects and they kind of i numb to the violence and kind of excessive hilarious violence and when we show that in front of people, everybody just like either really, really laughs or kind of freaks out. Freaks out. <laughs> and that's that's always just great when that happens. And so that that moment is uh, is why I like that episode. <laughs> great. Okay, who's next? I think actually at the end of a, a, a public screening we did one time, a little old woman came up to Adam Harum and was like or it was Clancy, and it was like, why did you have to shoot him so many times? <laughs> and I, I, I don't know, I didn't write the episode. <laughs> she's like, he, he probably could have done with like one bullet. And like, <laughs> like, like one probably would have done the job. And I was like, God, you're right, <laughs> fishing old lady. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think my favorite episode is, is episode 10, is the end of, of the first season. I think for a number of reasons. I mean, story-wise, it's the culmination of everything. I, I, I mean, I've been, work, I've been working on the show for almost the entire season, uh, but even I'm secretly kind of just a Transiller fanboy. I, I don't really have much involvement on the creative end. I'm, I'm mostly the, I'm the budget runner and help the guys, you know, facilitate uh, equipment and locations and things like that. But so for me, I, I get to kind of be on the fan side a little bit and see what the rest of the guys kind of pulled together. And that one for me, the teaser at the end for season two made me just go like, yes, like let's watch the Kickstarter now. I want to see this thing. So uh, that was fun. And I just think, and I, 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 we've screened it several times, but the audience and myself love when Yasaki gets his final moment and gets to shoot <laughs> you know, Captain Trigger in the head, and, and of course, if you watch the first season and, and kind of see the teaser for season two, you you realize he was robbed of actually taking Trigger's life. But <laughs> but just getting that moment and, and feeling Yasaki's frustration through the whole season and seeing him finally just you know snap. Everybody, everybody <laughs> cheered the first yeah, first time we premiered that episode was in front of a big audience, and like everyone just like finally. Yes, <laughs> like, watched ten episodes of this stupid captain getting everyone murdered, and finally someone just. Tells him no and shoots him. It was, yeah, it was, it was pretty cathartic. Um, I think I think mine is uh, episode six because I actually got to uh, watch that in one of our local theaters, and it was one. It was the only episode when I that was the first time I've ever seen it. Like normally, I kind of like just check in on Adam, see how he's doing, see if he's still, see, you know, see if he's still alive and stuff like that. <laughs> but like, I was from both the practical sense. And um, with Adam doing all the visual effects, like it was, it it was pretty uh, pretty mind blowing. Like I was extremely impressed with with uh, the work that he did, um, and it was just one of the, yeah. I think it was my that was that one was my favorite episode. Yeah, we we really stretched our, our legs on the uh, on integrating 
practical effects, lighting effects, and then blending them with uh, the post-production side of things in episode six. So, you know, we'd be, Jade, we need some flickering lights on Captain's face when everything, when everything's going haywire after the EMP blows up. And he's like, oh, wait, just let me, you know, get my flicker, flicker box. Oh, wait a second, we don't. Pull the cord in and out of the friggin' wall. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't great safety-wise, but visually, it looked, turned out really good. <laughs> I like that episode six actually is the the big one that actually pokes fun at Battlestar Galactica, which is hilarious because we we make re- like references and make fun of that show, but it's more about the political side. We never really like actually take an episode to make fun of, it, except for episode six, and it's a joke on the whole. That's why they're called Cobras or whatever. They're, they're a joke on those they're the Vipers or whatever in Battlestar, making fun of their, their flight rules and stuff. <laughs> okay. and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was really cool whenever you guys had the – because they lose power on those ships and they're stuck, and then you have a flickering light on their face and play of shadows combined with, you know, the virtual set. It was yeah. very cool. Let's talk about some, like, broader – things about web series for sure we love that <laughs> so what do you think now that you've made a web series you're working on season two and you're really entrenched in the web series community uh what do you think the future of web series is uh i think um i think web series are are starting to really gain a, a foot in in filmmaking and kind of uh beginning the distribution model starting to go uh, a little bit that way. I mean, you're starting to see a lot more folks from the studio side or Hollywood getting involved. Maybe not on a large scale level, but there's some, you know, there's some actors and things that are coming away and now starting to direct their own web series and things. I, I, you know, there was a few years ago the studios were starting to, to dip their toe yeah. in the waters. They knew that people were starting to watch web shows and and they tried for for a time. There was yeah. W, this, I think Warner Brothers had a yeah, studio. Yeah, Warner Brothers to 2.0 or something. And, and I know that. CW, the actual network, had a few web series, but I, I think the studios started to back off because they just they couldn't figure out. They were they were like, how, "There's no money coming back from this. How how do we get money?" And and I think that's that's where it doesn't quite work yet because they they wanted the large scale return that they get from from box office sales and from DVD sales, and you and it just isn't at that scale yet. Um, but it does work great for smaller groups like us or in, indie filmmakers because of the exposure you can get. And you know it leads to bigger, larger pro- projects, or or you get a, enough of a dedicated following to fund your next project or buy your DVDs on a smaller scale. Uh, you know we're not looking to make millions of dollars. We're just looking to to make another project, maybe a little bigger, a little better each time. So, you know I, I think things are starting to go that way, and I think audiences too are are starting to to realize there's a lot more quality uh, available out there. You know th- there's still there's a wide there's a wide gamut of quality I think in web series that go from from pretty amateur and and the high the quality isn't great to to incredibly polished professional looking web series that look like they were done on on a back lot and maybe some of them were yeah. on a back lot down in L A uh, with with millions of dollars of production equipment so I think I think uh, the web audience is, is starting to realize that there there are you know there's there's things that appeal to a, a wide range of people now. And they're starting to become dedicated to not only supporting those shows and the artwork by watching, but also now with crowdfunding and things like that, actually funding the shows and, and getting them made. Delving into the like, big part of my job been, as far as promoting season two has been trying to like get involved in the web series community. Like 
if you knew me personally, you'd know that I'd hate things like Twitter and Tumblr and all these things. But I'm realizing what a, what a fantastic tool they are just to network. And I think a big thing that web series in, in particular have over even TV shows is just the community that they build and how fast they build that community and also the accessibility of the creators to that audience. Um, I, I'm, I, I've never worked on a big television show, but I'd imagine that if you have a web series that has a passionate fan base, uh, you're building your content for them. Um, you're not shooting in the dark, guessing what they're after. Um, you're not making a pilot and pitching it and hoping that it finds an audience. You're developing one as you create, which is a, which is amazing, and it's been a lot of fun meeting, you know, fans on the Twitter account, on the, on the Facebook pages, and I, I think a big, an awesome part is just the interactivity you have with your own fan base, and other web series creators. I mean, the people at Zombie Orpheus, we've seen a lot of shows come to creation. Uh, we're working on a couple of them. Um, Glitch, uh, you know, Standard Action. We we met some people who just put together a really great. World War II dinosaur Kickstarter campaign. That's going to be really, really fun. Uh, so just meeting this whole community, and it, it's a really supportive network. That's my favorite part. I'm going to go cry now. <laughs> World War II dinosaur, that sounds interesting right there. That's a, You don't see that often. <laughs> it's funded, so it'll be out. America's Fighting Dinosaur there. We love you, buddy. Yeah, Steve, Steve Snowy, he's a uh, guy out of Seattle. Um, who, who did that project, and it's, it seems like it's going to be a really fun short film about uh, the, the American soldier no one ever knew about fighting World War II, a seven-ton Tyrannosaurus Rex. So. <laughs> now that you've made a web series, or, and you've got season two on the way, what tips could you tell people? Because a lot of people who are probably listening to this, or at least a good chunk of them, are filmmakers that are probably thinking about making a web series, or maybe they're starting to make web series. Uh, what kind of tips would you give them to do and not to do that you've learned? The huge thing I think for me is finding, find, finding your people, I guess. Like it, it's, uh, it, you need a group, you know, like we wouldn't have been able to do this on our own. Like we all wear a lot of hats, but we all rely on each other so much. And it's about making those connections and finding people that you work best with. People you can, you can stay out late and get angry and just like, just tear each other apart. And then the next day, you know, get back together and be fine and work and create something for people. And I think the, the greatest advantage we had is, is just working well together and, and being able to all support each other and find our roles that we do. Um, so right off the bat, you want to get started, you got to, you got to make sure you have the right people around you. Uh, I would say, I would say just, just do it. I, I know that sounds probably pretty simplistic, but I mean, I think uh, Nike's coming after you actually. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, uh, I think a lot of, especially young filmmakers, uh, guys out of film school, or people who, who have always wanted to get into filmmaking and, and but are like, oh, I don't know if I could put, put it together. I mean, look what, we, look what we're accomplishing with, as Jade says, you know, dangerous techniques and, and uh, you know, faulty equipment. And, uh, you know, and I guess that ties in a little bit with, with what Adam was saying, too. If you find the, the right people who are all interested in the right thing and are supportive, I mean, there's no reason you can't put together a show or a series or a short film or something and show it to the world on the internet. And, you know, and again, with the instant feedback, you might get feedback that isn't super supportive, but that, that my other, the other parts of my advice would be, uh, you know, take, take the feedback with a grain of salt, but also uh, consider it. If you're, if you're looking for, for a, an audience to enjoy your work as much as you do, 
you know, listen to what's being said and, and, and know how to choose what's constructive and what's not and, and try and let it make you a better filmmaker and a better artist. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Internet's huge, right? Right? Yeah, right. I, I mean, it's, it's pretty it's, sure. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty, it's, if it's not huge, it's at least pretty big. So I mean, I would like I wouldn't be afraid to try, fail. Uh, I mean, it, the internet's big enough that you can make something that is just god awful. You learn from it, come back and make something else. Uh, the whole experience and there, there's enough of a community out there. You don't you don't need to be you don't need to feel scared about what you have at your disposal as long as you have a passion for it and you have uh, good content. Spend spend the time in the writing booth, you know, making sure what you're putting out there is original to some extent and uh, and, and fun, engaging, entertaining, entertaining. That's the biggest thing. And you guys have won some awards, right? If I'm not mistaken. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Adam actually keeps track of all that stuff too. We we try not to pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we've had some public screenings uh, uh, in, around the Northwest in our community, and then we've uh, actually had. Translator screen at a few larger film festivals as well, and uh, probably our, uh, the biggest accolade or group accolades we got was from LA LA Web Fest, uh, which is I think was in its third year this this year, and it's going into its fourth year. But it's a huge, like a two or three day festival down in Los Angeles that is strictly dedicated to web series uh, from all over the world, anywhere from from comedies and dramas to documentaries and to educational web series programming. I mean, they run the gamut, and they bring filmmakers from from even from all over the country. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the web series, film festivals, and other award shows that are that are around are LA centric. But this one really uh, tries to draw on all over. In fact, the the winners from the festival go and, and play at a web festival in in France uh, after that. So it's it's really got a big global uh, network and following. And and we were uh, given outstanding. Outstanding uh, overall series, outstanding uh, visual effects, ensemble cast, and uh, cinematography. And cinematography, Jake. So, uh, so yeah, we, we we got several awards from that one, and that was kind of nice to get all that recognition uh, from from a, from a web uh, audience and from a, from a group of other fellow web series creators and and people in that world. So. All right, that's fantastic. Yeah, I saw that the other day. I didn't realize that uh, you guys had won that. Did you enjoy? Did you guys attend LA Web Fest, or how's that work with LA Web Fest? Oh no, we didn't. We didn't get a go. Yeah, actually, <laughs> actually, I think we were at an, another Transolar yeah, I was, event. Yeah, uh, me and Boyd were at a different Transolar event, and then Clancy and Jade were actually in at PAX. Yeah, they yeah, uh, Clancy and Jade were actually at PAX East. Uh, we were over in Boston. Yeah, in Boston. Some lobster show. So we, we unfortunately couldn't What's go. But, <laughs> but, uh, I was having some clam chatter. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, it was great. And and you know the the other thing about the LA Web Fest is they're really uh, responsive, and they were they were talking to us the whole time. They let us know that the show was received well. They sent us our physical awards, and we okay. took pictures with those, and it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, can you tease us with anything for season two? Ah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can. We we will. Give, give us good, <laughs> one second to just kind of look each other in the eyes real quick and see what we want to get rid of. Uh, I think I think you should decide. Tell them how it all ends. Uh, <laughs> it all ends in tears. Uh, season two pitches trigger against one of his own, a more capable captain. Your favorite characters will be tested against newcomers and old enemies alike. Um, if you'll notice, one of our incentives is uh, Yasaki's flask from season two. So 
Isaki's got some demons he's got to uh, <laughs> deal with. Uh, and I think we could say, uh, you know, the overall plot is uh, that the galaxy, and if not the universe, is in, uh, is in yeah. grave peril. The, uh, the, and it's up to the crew of Translator Galactica to help. There will be a, a, a force that is unlike anything the universe has encountered, and it will detract and just distract the universe from the uh, the Locus UGCA Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a greater enemy. There's a greater enemy out there. Yes. <laughs> and it's not just Trigger in his bombastic ways. <laughs> Although they certainly don't help. <laughs> awesome. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I'm just like say thanks again. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us. Well, you're welcome. Fantastic to chat about the show. Yeah. Where can they find you at? Uh, easiest place to find our stuff is translargalactica.com. From there, they can get onto our Facebook, which is very active. We're always posting updates uh, about our Kickstarter, the show, everything on our Facebook. Um, they can find us on YouTube as well. But if they go to translargalactica.com, it will open the doors to everywhere else. Yeah. There's character bios from everyone in Season 1 and uh, a complete episode list inside there with embedded players. Uh yeah, I'd say stop by Twitter if you're free, TSG underscore show at, on, on Twitter. Uh, or SS underscore Transolar, where I'm actually tweeting as Samson, as my character on the show. Yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty fun little thing. But yeah, there's there's tons of places. You, just type in Transolar on Google. I think we, we're doing pretty well about mapping that out. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not technically a word, I don't think, so it's, we got the market. Cornered. <laughs> yeah, unless the, unless the SS Transolar naval vessel comes out. We'll be in good shape. Well, thank you to the cast and crew of Transsolar Galactica for agreeing to the interview, and here's hoping for Season 2 and even many more years. Don't forget to check out their Kickstarter page, and if you like the show, please consider contributing. Now let's go to our second interview. We have a new featured music artist of the week, and this week, it is the Nova Scotia band Short Notice. Now, Tuesday, you heard their song on our show, Dirt Road, was the name of the song. And we were going to speak with the majority of the band, but offline real life kind of got in the way. So um, we were fortunate enough, though, to speak with their lead singer, Sean Hardy. And we actually know Sean from having uh, a few of his songs, some of his music, and their music, Short Notice, on our um, web series, Reality On Demand. And I think we played what, Dirt Road this last time, and in our in our show we have both Dirt Road and Sanctuary, and he did some of the music for our show within the show. And we talked a little bit about that in the interview. And then, yeah, our theme song, You'll Never Take Me Down, is actually from them. So, good interview. We had a really great time talking to him. Yeah, so here we go.
am Sean Hardy. I'm the lead singer for, uh, well, mostly lead singer for short notice. Uh, I play lead guitar, rhythm guitar, and basically do a lot of the writing. That's about it. <laughs> okay. Well, how long has short notice been around and, and how they get started? Short notice was around um, quite a while. Well, actually, probably about maybe three or four years before I joined. But I've been playing with the, the bass player long before short notice was together. So probably they started up probably about in 90, uh, let's see, 97 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I joined about, uh, or no, actually it was 87. <laughs> I think it was. Wow. That's I don't a good know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was so long ago. It was <laughs> but anyways, that I, I joined probably about three or four years after short notice was established. Yeah, we've been kicking around now as this lineup probably for about since uh, 2001, I think it was. Oh, wow. That sounds so. great. So um, can you explain to everyone a little bit about um, where you are and uh, do you primarily have uh, local gigs? Do you, Are you more on online radio? Just kind of explain a little bit about your band. Well, basically, we pretty well play all over Nova Scotia. We're in Nova Scotia, Canada. And, um, yeah, we basically play all over Nova Scotia, pretty much. And uh, we got three CDs out. Um, We had two of them that uh, had a couple songs that reached number one on some uh, local radio stations. That was kind of cool. So, basically... Yeah, we went. Well, we got we got uh, got a website, and uh, we're all over the internet, and of course with you guys too. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess that's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Um, and what style of music is short notice? Short notice is basically almost everything. We've we've never restricted ourselves to just one type of music. It's uh, if you listen to the first song and you don't really like it, chances are you might like the next song, you know, or even the next one after that. Because I mean, you'll hear you'll hear like a, a soft rock tune, and then you'll hear something that's more country, and then Celtic, and then and then heavy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 all over the place. Now, a couple of the songs that we're featuring for your band this week is Dirt Road and Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about those two songs? Sanctuary, I can talk more about because that came from me basically. I wrote that probably about oh. That must have been a good 15 years ago I came up with that idea. And um, basically what what I used to do, I don't do it much anymore, but what I used to do back in the day when they had the whole cassette thing, and most people don't really even know what a cassette, <laughs> cassette is. <laughs> we do. Don't worry. <laughs> but uh, it's funny because I, I used to, uh, every time I had a song idea, I'd put on, I'd put like just a, probably maybe 20 seconds on a cassette tape. Um and I apologize for my voice because I'm just getting over this cold and everything. No, you sound great. Oh, oh thanks. You're supposed anyway. to go because you're up late seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, basically what I used to do is I used to put about maybe 20 seconds of a song idea on, on, a, on a cassette tape. And I used to do that until the cassette tape was full. And at one point, I ended up with probably about close to 30 90-minute cassette tapes full of song ideas. Oh, wow. And, oh, yeah. And, and then you go back to it later on, and when you listen to it, you can sort of tell a little bit better, like whether this whether it's like a good idea or a bad idea, because it's almost like it didn't come from you, right? It's almost like it's like brand spanking new to you, right? Mm-hmm. So um, 
when we were recording for that for that album, I remember going back and listening to this stuff, and I heard Sanctuary, and I thought, wow, this is this is something I could really sink my teeth into. I'm going to take it to the guys, and of course I did, and they loved it, and then they put, put you know they put their brand on it a little bit, and and uh, basically the you know the rest is history. Now, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into um, music and also about and your background and also how uh, Short Notice actually came together? Music is something that's always been a part of me. It's, it's, um, I can't remember a time where I never wanted to be a musician. I mean, I, I got, um, I, I got uh, recordings of me when I was six years old of songs that I, that I wrote like back then. And, um, uh, it's just, it's always been one thing. I remember going to school and them telling me, it's like, you know, they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd say, well, I'll, I want to be a singer. And they'd say, okay, that's that's good for a part-time thing, but what do you really <laughs> want to be? It's like, what do you, you know, do you want to be a plumber? Do you want to be a lawyer? It's, it's like, <laughs> no, I, I want to be a musician. They're like, no, no, you don't understand. You can't do that for a living. And that's what I was told my whole entire life. But I, I've always known. I've always known that this is what I want to be. Um I was in my first band when I was 10 years old. I was uh, I was playing drums in my second band when I was 14. I was playing guitar when I was 16. And I've, I've, I've rarely had a time where I wasn't playing in a band since I was 10 years old and, and writing songs. It's just, it's been, and then like I said, you know, like I said earlier about short notice, it's uh, basically they had a gig in the city. They wanted to break into the city because they were playing out here a lot. And they had a guitar player that uh, couldn't make the gig. Their, their fir- very first time in the city, they had this guitar player that, that couldn't make the gig. And uh, so they asked me, they, <laughs> mm-hmm. they, showed, they showed up one night and they said, can you learn 40 songs in one week? <laughs> so I looked at them. I said, yeah, sure, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, where are, we, where are we playing? They said, oh, only in the city at the biggest bar in, in Halifax. I'm like... Oh, okay. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> no pressure or anything, right? <laughs> no, I had no pressure, but uh, I did that. And after that, they approached me and said, that, look, you know, we really liked the fact that uh, you did this so quick. We liked the, um, how you played. We liked the fact that you stuck in an extra harmony because I harmonized with, with the lead singer at the time. Almost everything he sung, I was putting those harmonies in there. And he really liked that. So uh, they made the offer to me, and I was playing with a different band at the time. And um, it's, uh, okay, do I stay with the band that I'm with and try to get something going, or do I jump in the short notice and start playing in the city right away and be on rotation and make and make good money at it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a no-brainer. Of course, my wife had to talk me into it a little bit, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mr. Royalty. I'm, I'm Mr., you know, I want to stay with the band I'm with and everything. And she's like, are you crazy? This is your dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our job as wives to say, "Are you crazy? Take the gig with the money and follow your dreams." <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, you, you'd like her. She curses like a sailor. So. <laughs> oh, we have that in common. <laughs> Marx's has sort of a, a sympathy for you now. I think. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now, do you come from a musical family? Yes, I do actually. Uh, my father has, uh, and I've been doing these. I've been doing these CDs. Like I, I, I can sit down like tomorrow and start doing up my own CD, like my own uh, solo project. But uh, I've been doing a bunch of stuff for other people for the last like so many years, and I've been doing CDs for my dad. He's got four of them out now, and he's got them like 
all over the world. He's <laughs> he's selling them like crazy. He sings, he plays harmonica, and he plays guitar, and, and, and all pretty much all of his brothers and sisters do that. Um, my mother used to play guitar a little bit, and uh, yeah, basically musical musical family. Yeah. Well, that's great. And is your wife involved in music as well? She can sing, but she doesn't like to. <laughs> <laughs> It's like every once in a while I'll, I'll hear her singing around here and she'll she'll hit a certain note. And I'll, I'm like, like she did this the other day. She hit a certain note to a song and I said, you just nailed that. And she just looks at me, just giggles a little, giggles a little bit and walks away. And it's like, you know, it's like she, she's good at it. She just doesn't have the confidence. Mm -hmm. so. so where can people find your music, you, you in short notice? Short notice. Now, where are, I always forget our website. <laughs> <laughs> Short notice online. Shortnoticeonline.com. Yeah. And um, I think we can probably do a shameless plug that we featured a couple of your songs in our web series. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> Reality on Demand. So have you also gotten into, um, I mean, we used your song Sturt Road and Sanctuary. Have you ever done any sort of composing for compositions for film or web series or television? I've I've had people approach me with some projects that were on the go, but pretty well all of them pretty much fell through. It was just well because you guys know how hard it is to get something off the ground, you know. Yeah, although we did use um, also some of your music for our um, fake show in our show. <laughs> oh, cool! Is yes. that correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, it's been so long since we put it together. I'm trying to remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, I, I sat down and watched Reality on Demand again the other day, just just to refresh my memory, right? And it's and I was like, yeah, this is pretty darn good. Oh, thanks. This is awesome. <laughs> good. I like I like the banana, the the firing banana. That banana Uzi. The banana Uzi. You can thank Marks for that. He told me that, and I thought, oh man, that has got to go in. <laughs> and the swearing and the bleeping. I mean, I'm a musician. That's right after my own heart. <laughs> Well, you know, you were talking about your wife. When I told Marks, I said, well, I want the part of Courtney. And he said, okay, we're going to have her, like, curse and swear a lot, and we're going to have her hit things. So... <laughs> I was like, now I know what this character now is. Now I understand the character. She's going to swear like a, cuss like a sailor and hit things. Oh, it's, and it's the attitude, too. The, the, the <laughs> character is just awesome. <laughs> I mean, anybody, anybody can curse and swear, but I mean, when you got that, that, that the proper attitude with it, that, that is just, that's that's mint. <laughs> Thank you. I feel bad. I really wasn't acting all that time. <laughs> <laughs> right on. It's <laughs> cheating. Yeah, I feel bad for the guy who got hit by the baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did accidentally butt him a bit with the hand in one take, but that's okay. He was way bigger than me and he tackled me, so <laughs> I don't feel bad. Routine. <laughs> <It's... laughs> yeah. <laughs> can justify you don't need a conscience when the love become a crime kind of writing close to the like to the 80s because i find hooks and songs were so there were so many of them in the 80s yeah you know i mean it sounds a bit dated but i mean in the 80s it's like almost any song you you turn on the radio in the 80s and it had a hook to it right yeah. You know, yeah, they were pretty distinct. I mean, you knew right away what you were hearing. Exactly, and I find today it's not. You know, every once in a while you hear a song with a, with a really good hook, but it's, it's that's few and far in between, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. we find ourselves listening to both the, uh, co college radios, you know, university radio stations, and then also um, 
oddly enough, the classic rock. And I have to say it was a very humbling moment whenever I'm on our classic rock station. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, hey, man, I remember when that came out in high school. Crap, this is the cra- classic rock station. I must be Oh, oh exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I, I never imagined this moment whenever, you know, those those songs would be considered a classic rock. <laughs> Exactly. You're like, that only came out 10 years ago. That's not classic. I, and, <laughs> and, you know, start having conversations with people for whom Kurt Cobain's always been dead, which is just depressing. <laughs> yeah, that is depressing. I remember the day he died. That was depressing. <laughs> and then you realize that, oh, my gosh, this person we're dealing with has never known him when he was alive. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, we were talking about the cassette thing earlier. It's like I, I went into, uh, I don't know if you guys got him over there, but it's called Future Shop. It's, it's like they sell like all electronics. Yeah, they had stuff. them when we lived in Vancouver. Oh, like a Best Buy. Kind of yeah, that's Best, right. yeah, that's why they're all they're all owned by the same people. But um, yeah, I went in the Future Shop there not too long ago, and and I thought, you know, something I got, I got all these cassette tapes. I want to transfer them over to digital. Mm-hmm. I want to have all because I'll get stuff on cassette tapes that you 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 can never replace, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I went in. And I went over to electronics, and I went over to where you know where they'd have like a, a cassette player that's that you know hooks up USB and goes in your computer, and so you can transfer it over. And I looked at the young fella, and I said, uh, I said, um, he goes, "Can I help you?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "I'm looking for something." He said, "What are you looking for?" I said, um, "Do you have anything that's like uh, that plays a cassette tape, goes through USB, and hooks up to your computer?" I said, "So I can you know put all my stuff off of cassette tapes." I said, "And and put them on on my PC." He looks me square in the eye, and you know what he said? He said, what's a cassette tape? <gasps> You're kidding me. Oh. Wow. I had and no I, idea anyone would not know that. <laughs> well, he was about 18 or 19 years old, and I I, I don't know. Apparently, he's never heard of a cassette tape, and I, I felt, like, very old at that point. <laughs> yeah, and then try to explain to him a floppy disk, I guess. <laughs> yeah, or, or a wrecker, you know, 45. <laughs> you know, if you're like me, I, I still swear some things sound better on vinyl. Oh, yes, very You know, much I'm so. like, just listening to some of, not just even the classic rock, but the old jazz and blues greats just doesn't quite sound the same, I think, on digital. No, there's 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 nothing like take, taking that album out for the first time and dropping the needle down on for the very first time there's nothing that can sound like that no there isn't hey maybe you could do that you know there was for a while there where a lot of musicians were kind of trying to revive the old vinyl movement maybe <laughs> maybe your solo album you could do something like that yeah that's what that's that's probably what i will do <laughs> <laughs> if you do can we please have an autographed copy <laughs> not a problem but you, you know, you know, it's funny because when when uh, uh, artists now when they're recording, like years ago when they when they recorded an album, they did it from reel to reel, and it introduced a little touch bit of distortion on on the on the music, yeah. and they couldn't they couldn't get rid of that because it, it's natural on tape, right? right? And now years later that they can get rid of that totally, it doesn't sound right to anybody. So now they're trying to get these plugins to introduce <laughs> that little bit of distortion to make it sound reel to reel again, right? Yeah, sometimes the stuff just sounds too clean. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Right. All right, well, it's been great talking with you. Yeah, it was great talking with you. We'll have to keep in touch. Keep oh, us updated on how things are going. Sounds good, guys. All right, bye. bye. All right, bye-bye. It's been so long I need sanctuary 
Hi, I'm Victor Miller. I wrote Friday the 13th, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, thanks to Sean, the, the whole short notice band for Green, to let us use their music and interview them. If you like their music, be sure to click on over to their website. Yeah, so that's it for today's Genretainment on our new channel at Sci-Fi Pulse Radio. And Marks will be on a secret mission. So we'll be skipping Genretainment Tuesday, but we'll be back next week for a new Genretainment Thursday. And we'll be interviewing the cast and crew and creative team of the award-winning sci-fi drama web series, Aiden 5. Even more voices. There's like five of them. Right, yeah. Gonna be. <laughs> oh, those weren't just in my head? No. <laughs> it gets very confusing. It'll be a great interview. And plus a new featured music artist, too. So you don't want to miss that. And we'll be back right here on this channel at sci-fipulseradio.com next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific. Until, Until next, next time. time.